The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ in our new series, Identity Theft. We'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. You know, a lot of people do not stop and think about the simple fact that the Holy Spirit was on the cross. I took a little time this week to think about that. A lot of people have been taking the time to think about that God the Father hung on a cross. Through the representation of His Son. All of us, I think, that have been churchized to any degree know that Jesus Christ was on the cross. And I think some of us have taken the time to actually look at the ministry of Christ and what led up to the cross. Most of it seemed to make sense on why they crucified our Lord and Savior. I think many of us have thought about the importance of exactly why Jesus had to go to the cross, why he had to shed his blood, and why that blood had to, and how that blood cleansed us from all of our sins. I don't think there's as many believers that have really thought through the action of how that happened and continues to happen. But when I think about the cross and the Holy Spirit, there's a, there's a detail that I think about that oftentimes, at least from the hearing of my own ears, I don't hear preachers and teachers separating anymore. So let's take a look at that. Here's the shocking reality. Belief versus being indwelt by the presence of God in Christ involves the Holy Spirit. Now, simple history is this. Did Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit indwelling him when he was in his ministry for three and a half years before the cross? Was he fully God before he got, before he got baptized? Well, he didn't get the Holy Spirit until he came out of water. So therefore, he didn't have the Holy Spirit anointing and moving and breathing and thinking in him until he came out of the water and received the Holy Spirit. When did the disciples get this Holy Spirit to start speaking and thinking the thoughts of God in them? At Pentecost, there was no disciple that was saved that was a Christian during the time of Jesus' ministry here on earth. Not a one of them. Now if you use the, ter- the definition that being Christian is a belief, they're all Christians. 
But if there's a different definition of what it really means to be born again, we got a problem on our hands. There's a challenge before us. The only one that was experiencing salvation was Jesus Christ himself. And that even took place before the power of the cross. He already had the Holy Spirit living in him. And with us, we don't experience the power of the cross until after we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Unless we're Satan. And if we are Satan and we are of his domain and we're trying to bring out a certain kind of deception, that deception that would make sense the most would be this, is get the people of a born-again generation to think that they're just like the disciples before Jesus died on the cross. They were people of belief. So many, if not most, believers are not indwelt or saved and filled with the Holy Spirit at the moment they choose to believe in Jesus. I grew up in a generation that taught you if you believe, if you choose to believe, you are saved, you become saved. It's your confession of faith. It's a lie. Any truth that has shortchanged several percentages, it's a lie. It will not get you the final task to be complete. It's, even, it's just a piece. It's just a stepping stone. An action on my part that activates the action of the Holy Spirit. So those same believers confess, or confuse I should say, believe with the moment of their salvation. Maybe you even grew up in a church or in a home or a structure that said, just believe in Jesus and you shall be saved. Well, that very passage, you have to ask yourself the question, who was being spoken to and who was the one speaking those words? And how could this group of people that were following Jesus and the disciples around listening to these sermons, how could they be saved? When 99% of the Christians today would tell you that there couldn't be salvation until the Holy Spirit descended for Pentecost. So what was going on with all these people? They were being invited to the first stepping stone of salvation. Breaking it down just a little bit more, we have this. The Christ follower, Christian must first believe in the substitutionary work of the cross before he or she can be called into the action of the identifying work of that cross. You see, there has to be belief first. There has to be. There has to be an action of man. And soon as that action of man is you heard by the hearing of your ears and you're going, there's something very right about what I just heard. Unless we buy into the deception that you're born again as soon as you have that aha moment, 
or I look down at my feet and see what the next stepping stone is, which is what most do not do. So once that happens, they can be filled with Christ through the filling of the Holy Spirit. I really do wonder exactly how many through the generations that were scooped up before that next step was taken. How many really have become born again? How many really are going to be standing in that line that is a part of the very narrow pathway and few are on it, quote, unquote? And how many are on this pathway that is wide and many are on it and they think they're saved because they put their left foot on the first stone? So breaking it down just a little bit more, here's what we have. Most believers do not know the distinct revelation concerning the cross in belief, mind, versus the exchange of the person, spirit. Belief is a stepping stone into the passageway of the exchange life, salvation. With our illustration, here's what it looks like. You have the tree of life, which is where that tiny little pinhole is that you go through to have your born-again experience so you can have salvation. The first step, the stone that is in the pathway, is this general interest. You could be sitting in church or you could be out in public and you hear someone say something, could be the Spirit directly, and there's an interest. You step to the next step and you go, I believe what I just heard. There's, there hasn't been any exchange that has taken place yet. There's just this solid belief because you have been convinced what you heard was the absolute truth. You step down off of those steps and you run away believing you're born again and truly saved and had the great exchange. When in reality, you got shortchanged. Never happened. I think what we might be looking at is the greatest deception we have ever seen on the face of the earth. I can't think of a deception that is more damaging than this one. I can't think of a more damaging thing to happen to a church than the pastor no longer being able to make the, 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 the difference between being truly saved and not being truly saved. To have a pastor who is leading people into belief and thinking that they are saved. I can't think of a more devastating thing to happen to the church worldwide. I totally get why Jesus said that there's very, very few that are going to be on this narrow path. I get it. And I get why people are lazy and they're almost drunk with their flesh and they just don't seem to care that much anymore about people going to hell around them every day, all day long, and they're calling them believers and they're calling them, you know, the Christians and they're calling them whatever and they're going to the pit of hell. And they don't seem to be bothered by it because they're hanging on to this simple decision they made to believe 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, demons believe, folks. Satan himself believes more than you do. He has more insight and understanding of the living God in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit than you do. He sees what is going on in the spirit world. He lives in the spirit world. He knows when there are true truth sayers from his side of the spirit world and all of the demons that follow him. They know who's telling the truth. They know who is uncovering this great deception of fake salvation. They know. So you see, this is, this is not huge. This is, this is what we are looking at is probably the, the time bomb that is waiting to go off to bring the final hours of the end times to be put into place. Now, when this preacher I was telling you about was telling me how when he was young, he was filled with such passion as he has seen in me, when I probably was the same age as he was, that was his excuse of being worn down and tired with preaching with passion and not seeing people's lives changed. And I said, brother, welcome to my world. I preach to dead people that have deadness in their eyes. But what I hope for is that one single soul that steps to the next step and goes, I believe what this person is saying about the living God. And I want to make the next step. And then they're led in through that eye of the tree. And truly make an exchange where their flesh peels off like a snake. And this new life that they get by going through the tree is a brand new life. That can choose the old. If a believer does not understand that belief, human mind, is merely a stepping stone for true indwelt salvation, they are vulnerable and walking away directly after belief. Thus thinking they are saved, escaping the true exchange of the person of man for that of God, Jesus. So then we get this. One, the unsaved are concerned with the works of the flesh. Two, those who think they're saved, but there is... Concerned with the works of the flesh. So how do you find these people? All they're concerned about is the works of the flesh. They're trying to fix what can't be fixed, or they're trying to fix in others what can't be fixed. This is evidence that they have no spirit thinking going on inside their mortal being. The saved in the walking dead which is what I do when I walk after my flesh, are concerned with the works of the flesh again. But it's temporary. It's by the hour, by the day. And then the saved and walking alive, these people are concerned about the works of Christ. So if they see someone else and they're, 
these someone else is struggling, they see that their struggle is the works of Christ in them or in themselves. So the last two are the indwelt believers and they will have their wars. They can start to focus on the works of the flesh like the unsaved people live by or they can have bad moments of that. But the true reality is of the Holy Spirit thinking the thoughts of God inside your mortal body are only concerned, the only goal is this. The goal of God is to crucify the believer's old man with Christ with the result that they who belong to Christ have been crucified or have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This does not happen at belief stage, nor does it happen in between, but rather it only takes place during the formation of Christ through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this is when the great exchange actually occurs. So as the acceptance of the crucifixion of the flesh takes place throughout your whole lifetime, that's called working out your salvation, as that is appropriated, there's nothing that is more important to you than the works of Christ. You can grieve over him, you can get sad over him, get happy over him, you can rejoice. You can, you can have all the normal, natural, neutral human emotions that come with the works of Christ. The only evidence that you could be given between the first two and the second two is if you are focused on the works of the flesh. You need to think about, listener, am I always concerned about changing the behavior of my spouse, of my children, of my neighbor, of the church, of the whatever? This is the evidence that you are not truly saved. But if you are warring over that you don't have a Christ as life marriage, you don't have a Christ as life spouse, you don't have Christ as life children, then that is normal, natural, neutral warring that comes with being an indwelt believer. If you are still, after this many years of having your Christian experience, if you're still all about warring after the flesh, you might want to ask yourself the question, did I make that final step? Or did I stay on the step of belief? I want you to text me or call me at 602-292-2982. I'll lead you to Christ. I'll lead you through the eye of that tree. Because if you're a believer, it means nothing to me. Outside of the reality that it is a stepping stone into the exchange. But if you're wondering, did I really go through the eye of that tree? Did I really make the exchange? Sometimes it's a good idea to give someone a call or a text to find out if you really did. But assuming is going to put you in a very bad position. Because if you yourself are assuming that you're saved when you're not, and men, knee are involved in miraculous ministries and you think you're leading others to Christ, 
You are not. And that's what Jane's testimony was about from her devotional. It's fruitless. God is not there. Now this is just a simple, simple principle that I think the whole body of Christ needs to be thinking about. Preachers and teachers need to be thinking about. A regenerate sinner is a generated saint. All believers must take the next step of inheriting the life of Jesus Christ. While true indwelt believers must be delivered from the rule of the flesh by the same cross so that he or she can walk alive according to the Spirit and no longer according to the mirror of the flesh. You cannot know your identity in Christ if it is lodged in the heart of flesh. And the way you find out if your heart is lodged in flesh is if you are focused on fixing the flesh in yourself, in another person you see, in the church, or anyone in life. God does not care about your flesh. He doesn't care if you're a murderer. He doesn't care if you're a thief. He doesn't care if you are a backstabbing, quote-unquote, Christian. He doesn't care about your flesh. He knows it's evil, natural, demonic, and it will bring destruction. What he cares about is his son's behavior in and through you. And if you don't have him, your heart is lodged in your flesh. So this week is going to tell you, not me, this week is going to tell you whether you are truly indwelt. Because you will be shown by God if you listen to this message whether your heart is lodged in your own flesh or maybe your heart is lodged in someone else's flesh because you're always trying to fix it so that your life is a little more convenient. So as we go through this Passover, I'm going to give you a perspective of communion that maybe you didn't think about before. When I was in Phoenix, I was watching a uh, history channel on the mysterious 40 days of Jesus' life that are not talked about. There's a little bit recorded, but not a lot. And it's the 40 days after the cross. So our message tonight has been the cross and the Holy Spirit. And then you have these little clips of Jesus. And if some of you are thinking that he actually walked all of those towns that he preached in before, you're under an illusion. He appeared. He appeared. He dissolved in and he dissolved out. He didn't need tennis shoes anymore. He was known for sitting at tables and breaking bread and the next 
second he quote unquote vanished. He didn't need humanness to prove anything. It was all supernatural. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like to have you open it up to Luke chapter 24. We're actually going to read from 30 through 35, but I'm going to tell you of the story that led up to verse 30. And as the story is unfolded to us, we have a couple guys that are walking on the road. And this is this passage is classically in most Bibles called the road to Emmaus. So we have a couple believers. Are you with me? Believers. And how many believers do you think, how many people do you think stood on that last step when Jesus took his last breath? Many. How many of those many were born again indwelt believers at this moment in our story? Zero. These guys were as dead as Satan. But they were believers. But they were discouraged believers. Because the dialogue that Jesus is having with these guys, first of all, they don't even recognize Jesus. The History Channel explained it in such a way that Jesus was in his glorified body and they didn't recognize him. No, the scriptures say that his image was kept from them. The Father did not want them recognizing this was Jesus. And Jesus is asking him stupid questions. I mean, I mean, serious. This is the living God, the Son of God, the one who possesses the only salvation at this point in dweltism is Jesus. He's the only indwelt believer on the face of the earth in all of eternity. Are you with me? He's the only believer who is indwelt at this moment. I just find this mind-bending. I felt like when God was taking me through this this past week and I was into the scriptures and I was watching this show and I'm hearing it from a secular perspective and the Spirit was coming out of the pages in my Bible and showing me this is the only one who believed and who was indwelt at this point of eternity. Do you know how I felt being an indwelt believer? How specially privileged I felt as being able to receive such a gift. Now, these two guys are walking and they are discouraged because Jesus didn't make it. I mean, I mean read it yourselves. They're, they're talking like, yes, it was said that he was supposed to die on the cross. He is literally drawing the process out of these two guys, the process of 
indweltism. He's drawing it out of them, even though they're discouraged. And I'm like, only Jesus. Only Jesus to ask stupid questions and get great answers. Jesus knew the answers to all those questions, did he not? Of course he did. He was Jesus. He's the one he's talking about. But they didn't recognize him. So they get to the village. And of course they gather around and this stranger decides to break some bread. So, Shannon, read for us verse 30 on and listen very carefully because we're about to experience a miracle. And it came about that when he had rec- when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? while he was explaining the scriptures to us. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven, those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Now, I don't know if you've picked up on this or not. This is the first communion. This first communion. You say, no, the first communion was with the disciples. No, this is the first communion after the full process is completed. Death, burial, resurrection, and proof in the pudding. This is the first communion. I'm like, God, this is just, this is just too much. Two doubting strangers he picks to have communion with, his first communion. Couldn't you have picked some of the big boys, some of the bigger preachers? No. The humble, brokenhearted, the doubters, the confused ones of wondering, did Jesus really pull it off? And that's who Jesus appeared to to have communion with. And right after he broke that bread, he vanished into the vapors of the night and left them with, we were just in the presence of Jesus. They didn't need to see him anymore. They experienced the full embrace. We were in the presence of the glorified Jesus. Guess what's next? The story's not over. Do you think those two wanted to show up in that upper room when Peter put the invite up? Who'd they go and talk to? (laughs) Do you think they wanted to show up? Of course they did. And they... 
receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit into their mortal beings and true salvation, the exchange became complete. And every single person, those two guys led to Christ after the upper room received the Holy Spirit into their lives upon belief. It was merged together as one. So what the enemy decided to do, the enemy decided to try to separate that again. Belief and indweltism. And he did. And that's where we are today. So anyone who is listening, I don't care what country you're in, I don't care if you're in a home or a big fancy church or a church under a bunch of sticks. I'm here to tell you. The next time you take communion, know this. It is to reveal the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. And even though you cannot see him, he is present. And as you break that bread, it is the literal symbol of the breaking of his body. As you drink from that cup or you take the body and you dip it in that blood, you are bringing forth the presence of the final works of the power of the cross so that you can confess to others what true indwelt believers believe and are to function like. And that's what we're about to do here with our local fellowship. Those of you who have been listening, I want to thank you for listening. I want you to contact me at 602-292-2982. Text me, call me, email us. But there's bound to be some questions. This is a critical issue for the church today. But thank you for listening in on our podcast. It is titled, The Passover 2017. Dividing belief from true indwelt salvation. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.